Magnesium is integral for 600-plus biochemical processes in the human body, and yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration in memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Um, my guest today is uh, Sarah Zabel. She's retired from the U.S. Air Force in 2018 as a major general and embarked on a new career as a science writer. Uh, she was inspired, intrigued, and frustrated by an enduring friend's battle with depression. And so she set the task for herself of uh, coming to understand and then explain for lay people the science behind this illness. So uh, she's written a book called Fighting Chance, How Unexpected Observations and Unintended Outcomes Shape the Science and Treatment of Depression. So welcome. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Yeah, if you would, uh, can you tell me a little bit more about this story about uh, your friend and what inspired you again to uh, research this area and write this book? Yes. Um, so I first met Carolyn, we were lieutenants together. And this was in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and so we were both embarked, we embarked on our careers, we became great friends. Uh, the Air Force moved us around to different places, but we stayed in touch. And then early, uh, about the mid 2000, um, about 2008, 2009, I, uh, we were stationed in different places. Um, I got a call from her saying that she had just got out of the hospital where she had been in for, uh, for suicidal ideation. And that just stunned me. I had no idea that she was um, depressed. I knew she was, she was down. She was grieving a loss. Um, so I knew she was down, but I didn't know she was depressed. I, I didn't even know what suicidal ideation meant. I mean, it sounded like thinking about suicide. So it, it, which it is. Um, but for me, it was, it was my first introduction to the whole field. And I was thinking, okay, if I thought about robbing a bank, you wouldn't put me in jail. So thinking about suicide and you get in the hospital and yes, absolutely. It's very dangerous. It's uh, one of the early steps towards actual suicide. So, so yes, she was in the hospital anyway, working with her and talking with her and just trying to be a good friend. I, 
it was very frustrating for me that I didn't know what I could do or what I shouldn't do to help her out. I was just constantly afraid. She went on from suicidal ideation to a couple of suicide attempts over the next couple of years. Uh, She went in and out of the hospital. She was under various sorts of therapy. And again, I just felt so helpless that I didn't know what to do. So you look online, say, what do I do about this? And there is so much information. This is one of those areas where it's not like there's not enough information. There's just so much scattered and confusing and contradictory information that you leave the, you leave the online session saying, I don't know what to do. So eventually I, uh, I, she, she did get some good help. Um, and when I retired from the air force, I wanted to understand what she was going through. So that's when I really started digging in, trying to learn about the subject area, learn about depression, learn about the brain, learn, you know, what do we know and what do we not know about it? And all the while uh, she, she had been doing well, but she had another uh, episode, another suicide attempt. And so it always, it had this sense of immediacy for me that I needed to find out what was going on and how I could help her. Otherwise she was going to die. And maybe even if I found out she would still die. So was there a a diagnosis yet at this time or? Yes, she had been diagnosed with major depressive disorder, MDD, back with her first suicidal ideation. And she had been under, like I said, various forms of treatment for it as well. But it is a very persistent or actually recurrent illness. Uh, There would be new episodes and then uh, often going into a, a, a suicide attempt then she'd get some, she'd be hospitalized. Uh, she'd uh, get some more treatment, uh, go into remission. And then a year later or three years later, it would come back. So that became the foundation for the book. It goes along the path that I was trying to discover, which is first of all, what is it? What is depression? I walked in thinking it's something to do with serotonin because I've seen all those, those pharmaceutical commercials that say, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And so and has something to do with the, to depression. So I thought it was something to do with serotonin, but what? So I started with what is it? And then where does it come from? Is it inherited? Is it something that that you, you get from your environment? You know, how does that work? I looked into suicide and also uh, really important for me, how is it treated? What do, you know, why do people do drugs or the psycho, uh, psychotherapy or um, electroconvulsive therapy. Uh, what are all these options and why do people do them and which ones work and which ones don't? How old was your friend when this started? Oh, so let me see. Uh, good heavens, about uh, in her uh, later later 40s um, when, when that happened and then continuing to, yeah, she would have been later 40s and then uh, continuing on to, um, gosh, uh, 2019. So uh, in her later 50s uh, when I was finally actually writing the book. I guess another question is why was she okay until she was in her forties? Does this correspond to, you know, midlife crisis time for people? There's, um, there's a lot of theories. So there's a lot that, that science does not know about depression, but it's actually pretty common for someone in their, her, forties uh, or fifties or sixties to become depressed. They do know that there, there's a certain amount of genetic uh, vulnerability so if you have, uh, it's not just one gene, but the certain collection of genes, you're going to be a little more vulnerable than perhaps somebody else to getting depression. But then what it seems to, to attach to is uh, chronic stress. So she was, like I said, she was grieving a loss. Um, but then there's other factors about, you know, your, your diet, your sleep, your exercise, 
other lifestyle factors that also have impact. So if you think about people have a certain level of personal vulnerability from their genetic inheritance, they also get a certain amount of vulnerability from early life adverse experiences. So if um, they lost a parent growing up or um, emotional abuse um, or sexual abuse as a child, that's going to go and make them more vulnerable as an adult, you know, decades later. So you start with some sort of pre, some sort of early life vulnerability. Um, and then in the current day, chronic stress is a, it really is a killer. Uh, that's a, a powerful factor, but then other, other things pile on, uh, diet, um, inflammation. Um, like I said, you know, how much do you exercise? Uh, those things all have their little bit of contribution. It apparently gets to a, a point where, well, the brain has a lot of positive and negative feedback loops. So when something's happening, either in a you know positive way or a negative way, it kind of tends to support itself. It's like a, a vicious circle in some ways where you're starting to go into, let's say, a, a bad place with mental health. And either because that further disrupts you know, your lifestyle and gives you stress, it keeps on getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And at some point, for many people, like my friend Carolyn, uh, it got to a point where she was actually uh, seriously depressed. Magnesium is integral for 600 plus biochemical processes in the human body. And yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration and memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. What has become, I don't know, the usefulness of the book? Is it helping other people that are reading the book or like, what have you observed? So I do get a lot of uh, positive feedback on the book. Yes, it kind of comes across sort of as a, an encyclopedia of, of depression, of what we know about depression. Like I said, there, there's a lot that science knows and a lot that they don't know. Um, but a lot of positive feedback that it really gives people a more useful perspective on depression. First of all, it's very, it presents it in a very biological manner. And what I mean by that is it's not just an attitude. It's not, oh, you, um, a lot of people think that um, depression is even in themselves, they see it as weakness. They don't want to admit to the weakness of, of being depressed. Um, it's not, it's not just a mood state. It includes a mood state, but it is a full body experience. So it helps to kind of understand that it is very, it's a result of very physical processes going on in the brain and the body. And then knowing that it helps clarify what, what is actually happening when somebody's under treatment, what, what's going on, um, you know, to the best of our knowledge in the brain when somebody's being treated. And so why does, why are some people able to get over it uh, quickly and others, it, it just lingers. 
Uh, any realizations or is it more a survey of the questions out there that are still unanswered and the available treatments that you've seen? Well, it's a little more, more than a survey of, uh, I initially I was trying to be complete. Then I realized I, I just couldn't. So there's things like, uh, people do get surgery, brain surgery, uh, for depression, but I didn't deal with that. I figured it's, that's rare enough, uh, that anybody who's actually thinking about that course, they're going to be talking straight to their doctor. They're not going to be uh, reading my book, basically. Um, there's other experimental techniques that they nobody knows yet if they work or not or how. So I kind of left some things out. But it does talk about some modern uh, techniques. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, heard about low-dose ketamine. That's a, a drug that was uh, recently approved by the FDA. I think actually it was 2019 that it was approved by the FDA for treatment of uh, depression. And yeah, I was going to ask you about ketamine and psychedelics. So go ahead. Yes. What about ketamine and psychedelics? Oh, I was, I was going to ask you about ketamine, about mushrooms, about ecstasy, about psychedelics and other drugs that are coming to possibly help depression and anxiety. Yes. So ketamine uh, has been uh, approved. Now, ketamine, like you know, is a, uh, a it's a street drug. It's an anesthetic. It's a, you know, a horse tranquilizer. And uh, but starting around 2000, scientists were testing it and they found that uh, ketamine, that very low dose ketamine. So not the street drug dosage, but a very low dose ketamine starts. It actually reduces uh, somebody's depression drastically within a few hours and the effects last for about a week. So they started uh, testing, you know, how do we do this? Uh, Can we stretch the results out for more than a week? And eventually uh, a company got FDA approval for a nasal form. So um, the, I don't know, snort this uh, dose of ketamine and it for most people. So they, they say it's about 60 to 65% of the people who actually respond to ketamine very well right away. And they, within a few hours there, it's like their depression is gone and up for up to a week. So they do it now that the protocol that I understand they, they're still using is like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So three days a week for a while. And then uh, twice a week or once a week for a while, and then once every two weeks and once a month, and they're, they're able to stretch it out. That was what actually got my friend out of her last, I'm a little superstitious, so I'm going to say her most recent depressive episode was the ketamine treatment, where started it hard. She didn't, she didn't respond immediately, but they kept at it, and then she started responding and then started uh, you know dragging it out, um, going on to maintenance just a, every couple of months, and then finally we're able to, to terminate that entirely. So it is an exciting development, uh, newly approved, but like I said, they've been testing it since about the year 2000. Now, the psychedelics, that is under uh, testing various forms of psychedelics. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know how much, I, I know they did testing in like the, you know, 1960s, but really put it aside because of the um, legal problems with um, psychedelics. So more recently, they've picked it back up. They are testing a little challenging to test it because what they want to do is they want to do double blind placebo controlled uh, psychedelics, but pretty much a person knows if they're high on a psychedelic. So you can't really blind so blind somebody. So are they getting better because it's actually working for them or are they begin getting better because they think they're supposed to? So that's a little bit of a challenge in testing it, but they are actively working it. There's a, I think there's a lot of trials going on across the country for psychedelics for various conditions, including depression. Yeah, I have a family member that does the ketamine infusions and they have trochees, which are dissolvable, you know, uh, bits of ketamine you can put under your tongue, you know, to help you as needed. There's a nasal one as well. 
the person has tried both of those and done infusions. And anecdotally, which I know is looked down upon, but who cares? Uh, it, it does seem to work very well over yes. time. It doesn't last forever, but it helps. Yeah. It, yeah. So like I said, they, uh, the, with the various protocols that they're trying where they, they do it, you know, a couple times a week and then spread it out. Uh, they have been able to get to lasting effects for a lot of people. So hopefully uh, your, your, your family member can, you know, keep, keep on doing it and keep on getting the benefit. And then, you know, hopefully it will work and put them into a more permanent remission. Your friend that you wrote about, uh, she tried ketamine and that seemed to help quite a bit. Um, yes. Any other modalities or things that uh, that she tried that you can talk about? Well, yes. Well, so she initially, when she was first um, hospitalized with suicidal ideation, uh, she got underwent some psychotherapy. Uh, she got the this kind of the standard antidepressants. Um, and again, that was years ago. If they worked for a while, then they didn't work for very long, frankly. She's always, most of the time, she's kept a good exercise program. Exercise is also a, it actually works for some people as a treatment for depression. Um, and at one point, it got, her depression got so bad, she had electroconvulsive therapy. And that's the, what, you know, what they used to call shock therapy. And that stabilized her. So she was, she went without an episode for about six years following the electroconvulsive therapy. But then when it came back, she, it came back and she was uh, suicidal again. So she tried a lot of different things. Other um, newer technologies, uh, she hasn't tried these, but these are newer technologies that people use. There's transcranial magnetic stimulation, which it affects how the neurons fire in your brain. Um, And it's been shown to to, uh, be a very good treatment for depression. Also kind of experimental and, you know, some support behind it, neurofeedback. Um, But there's all sorts of things that are you know, in addition to, like you mentioned, the, the psychedelics and the ketamine, in addition to those, there are new technologies that are actually working pretty well. Um, from what I understand from the doctor, the providers, uh, the only challenge right now is getting insurance to pay for them. Hmm. Is your uh, is your friend okay today or? Yes, you know, today she is okay. okay. Like I said, I'm superstitious okay. enough. I'm not going to make any predictions about the future, but today she is okay. Um, was the diagnosis anything beyond the, uh, the depressive disorder? Was it bipolar? Was it anything else? It was, um, she was not bipolar. She, yeah. She also had an anxiety disorder, uh, just a generalized anxiety disorder, which I think is also very common with depression. So um, how was the, the two sides of it manifesting? Were you able to ask or figure it out? Were there times where let's say she wasn't suicidal, but she was anxious or wasn't suicidal, but she was depressed. And when she was that way, did one or both flare up? Like what was the interplay of the two, as you could see as an outside observer? It was hard to distinguish. From the moment that she first told me that she went into the hospital, it seemed like there were many ways in which she was just different. Like you said, she was anxious. Uh, Her voice was different. Uh, Her speech patterns were different. But I couldn't disentangle myself the anxiety away from the depression. I don't know if a trained, you know, therapist could do that, but I, I couldn't. It was just, wow, something is seriously wrong. And I can see it in the way she acts and the way that she speaks and what she says. So when you would speak to her, did you have any influence over you felt like, or did she even remember some of the interactions if she was in a real bad state? Actually, it's weird. There are some things that she has forgotten and I'm a little leery about reminding her of some stuff. Um, People with depression, they usually have a, you know, deep sense of guilt and lack of self-worth. And I don't want to make her feel guilty (laughs) about some of the crazy (laughs) 
crazy things she said and crazy things she did. And I shouldn't use the word crazy, but since I'm not a doctor, I figure I can use the word crazy. Yeah, she did some harmful things that I do not want to remind her about. And as far as I can tell, she does not remember. When you know that somebody is ill, then, and you can see some of the symptoms just playing out, of course, you know, it's, it's easy to forgive. It's, Sometimes you might have to take a break if you're personally, you know, getting a little uh, stressed dealing with it, but it's very easy to forgive. Well, hopefully if she said things to you that were hurtful, you know, in whatever way that, you know, maybe if you understand, well, she was going through this problem, it wasn't really her, let's say, uh, maybe that would make you feel better or be able to deal with it, you know, the potential hurt more easily. Yes. Well, good. Okay. Um, So now that the book is out, what kind of feedback are you getting from readers? Um, That they really appreciate. So there's, there's a lot of uh, anecdotes, not only from my friend, but from, I think it was uh, 15 other people who are either personally had, had, or currently are depressed. Um, some of them have bipolar disorder um, instead of uh, major depression, um, but some experiences that they had. And uh, I think two people who are like parents of someone who is depressed. So their perspectives, their stories are in there. And people really respond well to, to reading about that, about um, what other people are going through, seeing themselves, seeing a likeness in what they're going through. Feedback is, it's also, yes, it is technical and detailed. And so it's not an easy read, but it is a, a great comprehensive resource for understanding to the best extent that we can right now, understanding the illness. And, and again, any feedback that, that jumps out of you that you've gotten from people or? Well, the you know. couple of things that I'm, I'm very proud of is, like I said, I'm not a doctor. However, when I, I, I also interviewed a lot of, uh, of medical professionals, um, academics, you know, people who are experts in the field. And after the book was published, uh, two organizations actually posted it, you know, have links to it on their websites um, and for, you know, professionals as well as for the public to read and getting that sort of professional endorsement of my work that that really means a lot to me. The the feedback, the other kind of personal level feedback that I really treasure um, are it, it's on something like Goodreads, um, where there's some people who say this is it's very compassionate, it's uh, very understandable. You know, this is a a unique work that is really important. I guess that's that's something I, I would like to think that it is important, that it is useful for people to to truly to understand. You know, like like you commented, there are things that you, sometimes you see the the illness speaking and. It might be hard to take as a person, but if you understand it's the illness, then then you can move on it and get over it. So I like to, the thought that it helps people truly understand and, by the way, destigmatize uh, at least that sort of mental illness so that they can help others, they can get help for themselves, and reducing some of the barriers, um, a barrier of stigma, of you know, the stigma of mental health, mental illness, um, and this uh, kind of the barrier of not even knowing where to start asking questions when something like this first hits you, like where, where do you even start? Hmm. Okay. Do you feel better prepared to support your friend today? And if anyone else in your life has issues yes. with anxiety and depression? Yes. I feel better to, first of all, to recognize it, including um, in myself, as I go through, you know, various stresses and, um, and, and challenges that we all do. 
Um, I can recognize it in myself uh, much, much better than I, than I would expect before in other people and understand and, and deal with them um, in a, it's, I think I'm, I'm much better prepared to do that than I was before I started this. Okay, excellent. Um, is there a new book in the works or what's next for you? Yes, I'm working on a, a new book. I'm also uh, starting uh, just kind of, I guess, between books, shall we say, um, starting some uh, just writing uh, blogs, uh, my blog, other, you know, guest blogger, um, just to kind of tackle smaller subjects and um, just articles of interest at the, at the moment. Okay, very good. Um, uh, for listeners, so what would you recommend? How do they start learning more about your work? They should get your book. Can we restate the title? And just, I'm, I'm assuming it's on Amazon everywhere. People can get books. It is, but I would... And maybe s- another way to contact you if, if you wish. So I have a website, um, and I assume you'll probably have a link to it with the podcast. Um, so yes. www.sarazalba.com. But I would ask, instead of buying a book, why don't you go to your library and see, there's a lot of public libraries um, and a few school libraries that picked up the book. So check there first. Um, please do. And if you if you can't get it at the library, then certainly um, you can buy it. However, I plug independent bookstores over Amazon. Of course, you can get anything on Amazon, but independent bookstores are kind of struggling these days. So I would prefer you look there. Okay, makes sense. Well, very good. Well, Sarah, thank you for coming. It sounds like it's you know obviously a personal and difficult story to share, but thank you for doing that. Thank and you for being Richard. here. Magnesium is integral for 600-plus biochemical processes in the human body, and yet most people are deficient. Common signs of magnesium deficiency include fatigue, muscle weakness, stunted growth, poor immune function, poor concentration and memory, hormonal imbalances, bone and teeth problems. Most people think grabbing a bottle of whatever cheap stuff on the shelf or at the top of Amazon will solve this. The common misconception is that consuming more magnesium will automatically improve health and well-being. The truth is there are various forms of magnesium, each of which is essential for a variety of physiological processes. Most people are deficient in all forms of magnesium, while even those considered healthy typically only ingest one or two kinds. Consuming all seven of magnesium's primary forms is the key to accessing all of its health benefits. That's why we pack seven forms of 450 milligrams of elemental magnesium into each serving of Wild Mag Complex. One dose a day is all you need. Learn more and grab a bottle today at wildfoods.co. Use code GENIUS for 10% off your order. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.